to open your Bible to Psalm 23, 23rd Psalm. No doubt many of you have this memorized, but I encourage you to look at the Word regardless and uh, follow along with me this morning. Use the bulletin, the back of the bulletin to take notes and let's look at this familiar text. Psalm 23, reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The uh, inerrant and authoritative word of God, may he bless this, and let's ask for his help as we look into this uh, familiar passage. Guard our hearts from familiarity, Heavenly Father. Um, it, we can grow casual, thinking we understand all there is to know about this psalm. I pray that you'd give us fresh sight today, and fresh understanding. Quicken us, Lord. Many of these people in front of me have been around church for a long, long time. And have memorized these words a long time ago. We pray your spirit would quicken our hearts and make it fresh. Father, strengthen me and my voice. Help me to think and proclaim your truth clearly. Uh, Father, strengthen us in grace this morning. Uh, we ask through Christ. Amen. Well, we come today to one of the most uh, some of the most cherished words in the entire Bible, Psalm 23. Uh, treasured through the centuries by those who know Christ as their Savior and Lord, uh, Dr. Steve Lawson describes it this way. If there is one psalm that has encouraged more hearts, it is this beautiful masterpiece, probably the best-known passage of the entire Old Testament. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick or captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching grief, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated it has visited the prisoner and broken his chains and like Peter's angel led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. Such is the powerful peace that has filled the troubled souls of believers down through the centuries. None who have feasted at the banquet table of this beautiful psalm Go away hungry. Perhaps you've experienced uh, something along those lines yourself. 
I recall that when my father was in a nursing home, uh, Psalm 23 was the one thing that my father could still remember and my mom would read it to him uh, every single time she went to visit him. And you have similar occasions of where it has comforted you. But what this is, is uh, uh, David's recollection and meditation on the Lord's faithful provision. He describes how the Lord has faithfully provided for him throughout his life. Uh, I believe it. It's my opinion that he's writing this later in life and not as a 16-year-old sitting in a meadow uh, plucking his harp with butterflies about his ears and a gentle breeze blowing and uh, young lambs hopping in front of him. I think this is, this is written in dark times. And David recollects and meditates on how the Lord has faithfully provided for him through his life. And he describes this faithful provision through three images. Uh, these three images he uses describe how the Lord provided for David and how he provides for the people of God, for you and I. How, how does the Lord faithfully provide for his people? First, the Lord provides for his people like a shepherd in the field. Uh, this is the first and perhaps most familiar image that David uses here in Psalm 23. Because the Lord cares for him like a good shepherd, he lacks nothing. David expands on this first image and he describes four features of the shepherd. Uh, the first feature he goes on to mention is is simply the image itself, which is the image of the shepherd. David declares that the Lord cares for him like a good shepherd cares for sheep. Look at verse 1, these very familiar words. The Lord is my shepherd. To begin with, please notice the word Lord in verse 1. As we've mentioned previously, I want to remind you again today, notice how it's spelled in all capital letters. When it's spelled this way in several versions, but the ESV in particular, the word underlying this, the Hebrew name underlying this spelling is the name Yahweh. Uh, that's how the Lord revealed to himself, uh, how the Lord revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. You might know it more as Jehovah, but really Yahweh is a better pronunciation. But the Lord um, said this to Moses at the burning bush. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Uh, you might remember that this is the same way Jesus addressed himself before Abraham was, I am. So this is not just God the Father. It's also God the Son who addresses himself this way. From these words, I am who I am, we get the name Yahweh. Uh, 
And this name communicates two things to us. Two, I would say, extremely important things. It communicates to us that God is the self-existent one. Maybe your children have asked you or your grandchildren, who made God? And the correct answer is no one. No one made God. He has always existed. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are eternal. They've always been and they always will be. God is the self-existent one. He is, he is uncaused. Well, the second idea communicated by the name Yahweh is that God is the all-sufficient one. Everything necessary for our existence can be found in Him. God is complete in Himself and provides us with everything we need. Uh, Yahweh, that name communicates that He is the self-existent one and the all-sufficient one. Now, why do I bother to explain this to you, uh, the, the importance of this name? Because if you hear that someone is going to be your shepherd, it really helps to know who that someone is. Uh, we might be filled with dread or confidence, depending on the identity of your shepherd. Sometimes at work you hear of, of who's been promoted to be the supervisor. Oh, no. You know. Or occasionally it's somebody you uh, really like and, and you're relieved that they're now your, your boss. In um, 1999, uh, Christy developed gallstones and pancreatitis. Uh, she spent a week at, in Piedmont Hospital, um, after which they were finally able to operate and remove her gallbladder. But on that Easter Sunday morning, uh, when her surgery was performed, uh, the nurse uh, with us as we were preparing, as she was preparing to be operated on, and I was kind of just standing there, uh, said to us, well, they've, I see they've pulled out the big guns today. And we asked, how's that? And she explained that the doctor operating on, on her was the head of internal medicine. Now you think the head of internal medicine would know his way around the human body. And it builds confidence knowing that this guy knows what he's doing. And so when God's word informs us that we have a shepherd, it, it might lead us to ask, who is this shepherd? I mean, after all, other nations referred to their gods as shepherds too. To the, to the sun god, Shamash, its followers, followers would pray the shepherd, Shamash, guide the people. Those who worshipped Marduk prayed, Marduk has provided me with pasture. Your shepherd, however, is the living God. Your shepherd is none other, none other than the self-existent one who doesn't depend on anyone for his being. Your shepherd is the all-sufficient one who can supply you with everything you possibly need. That knowledge should make a difference in how we view our shepherd, how we feel. It should fill us with comfort to begin with. And then overflow in confidence, knowing that every need we have will be met by him. 
because the self-existent one and the all-sufficient one, Yahweh, is our shepherd, then we can expect the next statement in verse 1 to be true for us as well, just as it was true for David. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because Yahweh is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Out of His great all-sufficiency, every need of, of mine shall be met, not necessarily all my wants, but surely every good thing that you or I need will be supplied by our good shepherd Yahweh. Psalm 34 describes this same provision. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And so that thing you're wanting so badly, that thing you're not getting, Guess what that means? That right now it's not a good thing. Well, the only question that remains is whether or not Yahweh is your shepherd. Whether Yahweh is your shepherd. And so I want to ask you if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the good shepherd that we read about just a few moments ago. Have you turned away from sin to rely on his atoning death on the cross? Are you relying on him and him alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Not trying to hedge your bets with good works or church membership or baptism or being a nice guy, Christ and nothing else is what you have put your hope in. This is the first feature of the shepherd, the very image itself of a good shepherd. Because Yahweh is the self-existent one and the all-sufficient one. He cares for David like a shepherd and he lacks nothing. Well, David goes on to develop this, uh, this first image further and he goes on to describe the nourishment the shepherd provides. Uh, and David says the Lord nourished him with rich spiritual food. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And first take note of what the shepherd does here. He makes me lie down. The verb tense indicates that this is ongoing and repeated action, habitual action. He continuously leads me to green pastures. He provides me with spiritual nourishment on a regular and consistent basis. Like any good shepherd would, David says, the Lord does not allow me to go hungry. And look where the sheep are made to lie down. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And Dr. Alan Ross points out that the word grass refers to rich, abundant grass of springtime. In the summertime in Israel, uh, under the searing heat, uh, the grass virtually disappears, but in spring, even hills that are normally barren are covered with grass. What is David referring to? What kind of nourishment are we talking about? 
David's referring to the nourishment that you and I receive, uh, that David received from God's word. Charles Spurgeon notes, what are these green pastures but the scriptures? Always fresh, always rich, and never exhausted. And just as the green grass would be food for sheep, God's word was food for David's hungry soul. That nourishment would have taken place at the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Uh, remember, no temple yet because his son Solomon hasn't built it. They're still operating under the tabernacle that was constructed in uh, the book of Exodus. And it would have taken place through the teaching ministry of Israel's priests. See, they, they were not only in charge of the sacrifices and offerings made there, they, they also taught Israel the word of God. And the prophet Malachi describes this. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So by grassy green meadows, David's talking about spiritual nourishment leading to spiritual growth for you and me. David's referring to spiritual nourishment uh, that takes place through our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And one of the primary ways our good shepherd nourishes you and me is through his under-shepherds. Uh, in the New Testament, this began with the apostles. Uh, you recall that scene on the beach in, in uh, the last chapter of John's Gospel where Peter's being restored and Jesus is pressing Peter with these questions. This is the last round of questions. Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The apostles gave themselves to this, to this task of feeding sheep. They say in Acts chapter 6, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, that word devote almost uh, comes very close to, to meaning obsessed with. It's that kind of commitment and dedication. Uh, they had tunnel vision uh, for these two things. That's why they had to get other men around them to, to provide food for the widows. But we see in Acts that the apostles began to uh, die off. And uh, after Judas' replacement, the apostles weren't replaced. And gradually we see the role of elders, a, a group of men in each local assembly they were charged to shepherd the flock of God. First Timothy says that these men must be able to teach. And Titus chapter 1 says elders must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And First Timothy 5.17 adds this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So all the elders rule by providing spiritual oversight. There are some, Paul says, 
Uh, some elders in particular who spend more time teaching the flock. And for you and me who live in this New Testament era, the primary way we receive this kind of nourishment that David refers to is through the under-shepherds of elders, through the preaching and teaching of our elders. And this is the second feature that David brings up about the shepherd. He talks about the nourishment that the shepherd provides. And again, for David, this was at the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. For you and me, it's through the elders of a local body, uh, like those in New Covenant. Well, there's a third feature he develops about this shepherd in the field. He talks about the nourishment he gives. He also talks about the restoration that this shepherd furnishes. Excuse me. <clears throat> I agree with Larry. The songs were great. And I'm like this because I sang too loud. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, the Lord renews and refreshes David's spiritual condition here is the next thing we see. Notice the middle of verse 2. It says, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, we see what's called cause and effect several times in this psalm. First, we, it, it, was, it took place between... Uh, the two phrases of verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, cause the effect, I shall not lack anything. Now here we see another cause and effect. He leads me beside still waters, the effect, he restores my soul. It's, a, it's an important thing to see, cause and effect. Uh, uh, these still waters that he refers to in the Middle East, shepherds usually water their sheep once a day at least, and this was normally around lunchtime uh, because, because sheep would not drink from rushing water, the shepherd had to find still water or quiet water, and sometimes it was necessary for him to gather some small stones and, and create a, a little dam that would allow the water to pool and be still where the sheep could drink. Either that or sometimes he would use his shepherd's staff to, to lay in the water and, and allow quiet water to, to gather behind his shepherd's staff, still water for, for them to drink from. So the, the cause, he leads me beside still waters. Then the effect, um, he restores my soul. And this word restore means to refresh, to repair, to bring back. Restore refers to returning something to its original condition. Uh, we're used to it with our phones. Restore to factory settings, which we never want to touch, uh, usually. But, but this is the idea, to restore something to its original state. So these still waters are not just for drinking. Uh, the shepherd also uses these quiet waters to to cleanse the wounds of his sheep and, and wash out soiled spots on, on their fleece. His goal was to repair them, uh, so to speak, to return them to their original state. And this is what the Lord 
did for David as well. He repaired his soul and he restored it to its original state. And how did he do that? And how does he do it for you and me? Well, again, Charles Spurgeon suggests this was done through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. What are these still waters but the influences and graces of his blessed spirit? His spirit attends us in various operations like waters, in the plural, to cleanse, to refresh, to fertilize, to cherish. When this soul grows sorrowful, he's referring to himself now, when this soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. He does it. How does God's Spirit work in our lives? How does he restore us, as, as David describes here in verse 3? Well, the Spirit of God typically works and operates through the Word of God. When you and I feel tired and weak and worn out and think and decide to stay home on the Lord's Day, we are missing out on the shepherd's primary stream. And that is hearing the word of the Lord because the Spirit of God most often, most frequently, I would say almost always, and sometimes I would say all the time, works through the Word of God. These two are always joined. So when we stay home because we're tired, we're pulling away from the very thing that could, could restore us, could re return us to factory settings. This is the third feature of the shepherd. It, it's the restoration he furnishes. The Lord renewed and refreshed David's spiritual temple uh, condition at the tabernacle, at the tent of meeting. Well, the final, one final feature David goes on to explain about uh, the shepherd in the field, and that's the guidance he gives. The Lord keeps us on the right track even in life-threatening situations. Uh, picking up in the middle of verse 3, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness. Uh, used in its literal sense, this word paths refers to tracks or ruts in a road. Just as you and I would find if we drove down a dirt road somewhere up here in North Georgia, we would find a rutted track. I'm thinking of Devon Hassler's driveway, as a matter of fact, um, her previous driveway where she lived out uh, um, on uh, Sleepy Hollow Road or something like that. Uh, a shepherd would look for these wagon tracks and he would use them to lead his sheep safely back home. Uh, but when we use the word paths in a literal sense, it refers to a course of action, a course of life. And this is what David is getting at here. His shepherd leads him to the right course of action to take. Uh, his shepherd directs him to take the correct course in life. The Lord gave this guidance through his circumstances 
uh, again, through his word taught by the priests at the, at the tabernacle, and through the advice he received from the men in his court, his advisors. The Lord led David in this right course because his reputation was at stake. Look at verse 3 and note how it continues. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So a shepherd who couldn't find the right track home or a shepherd who turned up with most of his sheep at the end of the day, we would consider a worthless shepherd. His reputation would suffer. Uh, nobody would send their sheep out with this guy. He, he always loses about 10% of my flock on the way home. And in, in the same way, the Lord's reputation would suffer damage if it were shown that he could not lead his people through life. His fame, his glory, his reputation would be at stake in this matter. And because of this, we can be certain he will guide us the right way. And God's word assures us this, that Jesus Christ will bring 100% of his sheep uh, home to heaven. Now that's a good that's a, that's a good percentage. Listen to how he says it in John chapter 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. Woo! Praise the Lord! <laughs> but raise it up on the last day. Christ will lose none of those that the Father had given to him but will raise them up on the last day and bring them home. Well, further, note that this track, this wagon track, this course, is sometimes shrouded in darkness by the shadow of death. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there are times when our shepherd will lead us through situations of grave danger. Uh, he will sometimes uh, be forced, sometimes a shepherd would be forced to take his sheep through a dark valley uh, with, with the goal of reaching fresh pastures on the other side, uh, valleys where their predators would hide, valleys where thieves were known to attack the unsuspecting, and sometimes by necessity, uh, the shepherd would have to take his flock through those dangers to get to better pasture. The same is true with you and me. That sometimes he leads us through valleys that are darkened by the shadow of death. But even these are his right paths. Listen to this gentleman pointed out. The dark valley or ravine is as truly one of his right paths as are the green pastures. A fact that takes much of the sting out of any ordeal. E even in the valley of death's shadow, even in life-threatening circumstances, even in extreme danger, the Lord is with us guiding us 
and protecting us. Verse 4 goes on to tell us this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was an oak club about two feet long. Uh, one uh, uh, pastor describes it as a club to beat the daylights out of the sheep's enemies. That's what the club was for. And the staff was the familiar shepherd's crook used to guide and control the sheep. But more, more important than the rod or staff in death's dark valley is the presence of the shepherd with his sheep. David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So this is the fourth feature of the good shepherd that David describes. He describes the image uh, of a shepherd to begin with. Yahweh is my shepherd. He describes the nourishment he, he gives. Uh, grassy green meadows, spiritual nourishment. He describes the restoration he furnishes. And here last, the, the guidance he gives in the right paths. And because the Lord cared for David like a good shepherd, he lacked nothing. Uh, there's another image, though, that he talks about in Psalm 23. We're going to leave the image of a shepherd, and he goes on to talk about the image of the host in a banquet hall or a dining room. And this is the second way the Lord provides for his people. He provides for his people like a host in a banquet hall. It's as though if the first image of a shepherd wasn't enough, if the image of a good shepherd didn't go far enough uh, to describe the Lord's faithful provision, David adds this second image to, to drive the point home, to drive home God's faithful provision. And he says, like a generous host, the Lord sets a feast before him, refreshes and revives him, and fills him to capacity. And, and he goes on to mention three things about this host in verse 5. The first thing he says is this host sustains us. Like the host of a banquet, the Lord provides food to strengthen his people. Again, look at verse 5 with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, prepare a table. Uh, that meaning is, is clear enough. It means to set food and drink before guests, just as any good host in the ancient world was expected to do. He would, he would provide nourishment for those who came to his home. It's not so clear what the next phrase is about in the presence of my enemies. A lot of ink spilled on who the enemies are. Some think it's, this is a, a victory celebration and that these are recently conquered enemies. Uh, David is celebrating a victory and defeated enemies are there, grudgingly forced to watch him celebrate. That could be. Others think the enemies refers to his son Absalom. And you remember that Absalom led a revolt against David? So successful that David had to flee for his life from Jerusalem? Uh, some think that Absalom and his army 
are the enemies referred to here? Um, it's possible that, that they're camping right across the hill from Absalom. Second uh, Samuel 17 tells us that while David was on the run, several of his friends brought him uh, a feast for his men and his army. It could be Absalom. And then there are still others who think that this refers to a host's obligation to protect his guests regardless of the cost. This was, this was true of a host in the ancient world that when people came under his roof, he was obligated to protect them to do anything for their safety. This is what we see in Genesis 19 where Lot attempted to protect the angels from the men of Sodom. Well, which one is it? I am not sure. It could be, uh, it could be either of these. The point David seems to be making is that the Lord sustains us even in the worst circumstances like when we're in the presence of our enemies. Again, listen to Pastor Dale Ralph Davis. If, if Christ can sustain and uphold me in the presence of my enemies, then is there any circumstance in which Christ cannot or will not sustain his disciple? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is clearly no. Christ can sustain us even in the worst circumstances, uh, like when our enemies are present. This is the first thing he mentions about the host. He sustains us. The second thing he goes on to say is this host also refreshes us. Uh, as our host, he, he provides to refresh us. Verse 5, uh, picking up in, in the next phrase, you anoint my head with oil. This sounds gross to us and uh, sticky, but it was common in the ancient East uh, where someone would travel to your house and, and journey and you would anoint their forehead with uh, perfumed oil. Um, this served the function of soothing their sun-cracked skin the way aloe vera does for us when we've gotten sunburned. Uh, it, it soothes it soothes their um, sun-cracked skin, sun-darkened skin, as well as mask their body odors if they were on a long journey. And the purpose of this oil was, was to refresh and, and revive his guests as they came under his roof. And this, David says, is what the Lord does for him, just as a host would revive and refresh his guest with scented oil so the Lord refreshed him through the ministry of the Spirit. And so he refreshes him as, as any gracious host would do. And then lastly, David said, he supplies us. The thing the Lord does for us as a host is to generously provide. Look at the end of verse 5 now, this familiar line, my cup overflows. So this would be uh, a, a cup, the, the host would fill it with the best of his wine and keep it filled. But in Scripture, cup also has the meaning of, of your circumstances in life. And so a cup 
can be filled with bad circumstances or good, um, unpleasant things. Uh, for example, Jesus at his arrest told Peter, um, you know, uh, Peter uh, told Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Remember, he's just um, demonstrated his great swordsmanship by cutting off the ear of Malchus, a servant. Uh, no doubt he was aiming to remove his head, but he came away with an ear, which is um, a, a point we'll bring up at another time. Peter, put that down. Put your sword in the, into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And you recall earlier, the Lord prayed that this cup might pass from him. He's talking about the cup of the Father's wrath. Uh, and he was would drink it, but still unpleasant as he absorbs the, the punishment for our sin. The cup can be filled with, with good things as well. And David said in, in Psalm 16, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And so this cup uh, would refer to a cup at a banquet filled with the best of the host's wine. But David uses it in that second sense here. My circumstances just overflow with God's goodness. He has generously and abundantly supplied, uh, supplied me with good things. Uh, again, Psalm 34, we looked at before, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord supplies for us as any good host would do. No good thing does he withhold. So how does the Lord provide for his people? How does he faithfully provide for them? To begin with, like a shepherd would provide for his sheep. And then second, like a host would provide for a, a guest at a banquet or in a, at a dining hall. He, he puts a feast before him, refreshes and revives him, fills him to capacity. There's a third image here now. We're going to leave behind this second image of a host to move on to a third and final image. How does the Lord provide? He provides for his people through his worship in the sanctuary. Because of the Lord's faithful provision for him, David will go back to the Lord's house for more. Please notice two things here. First, I want you to see the conclusion David comes to at the beginning of verse 6. He concludes that the Lord's faithful provision will pursue him all through life. Verse 6 begins, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This summarizes, uh, brings to a boil, brings to a conclusion, 
everything he's been describing up to this point. He's been describing the Lord's goodness and mercy to him through the images of a good shepherd and a, a gracious host. Uh, the Lord has faithfully provided for me like a shepherd and, and a host. And from these two images, David draws this conclusion in verse 6. Surely, or you could say certainly, or indeed, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Look at your text. Look at that word follow. Bible scholars across the board agree that this is a pretty tame translation of this word. It really means to pursue, to chase, uh, to hunt, even to harass. It's perhaps the very thing that his son Absalom was trying to do at that moment, hunt him down and kill him. The Lord, on the other hand, is hunting David, pursuing David, chasing David for a vastly better reason to show David his steadfast love and faithfulness. It's like when a cop pulls you over and gives you a citation for being a good driver. Has that ever happened to anybody here? I think it has that happened to you? No. I think that's a work of fiction. So this is a conclusion. He he thinks he's been meditating on the good shepherd. And he's been meditating on the gracious host. And here he brings it all together. Surely, his goodness and steadfast love will, will pursue me every step of the way. Oh, years and years ago, there was a, a fairly well-known uh, preacher named Harry Ironside. He was... Uh, uh, the preacher at Moody Memorial Church in downtown Chicago. And he tells the story of a troubled woman who uh, once came to him fearful that she was being followed by two men. You and I would probably quickly see um, uh, some kind of psychological event going on here. Uh, she said whenever she left her apartment, the two men would trail her, or so she thought, and whenever she stepped on the trolley, the two men were at her side. And she asked uh, Harry, uh, the pastor, Pastor Ironside, what was she to do? And Ironside quickly concluded that these two men were figments of her imagination, imaginary figures. But still wanting to comfort her, he replied, there's nothing to worry about. Those two men are David's servants sent to help you. And he opened to this verse in his Bible and showed her, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And he assured her those two men are named goodness and mercy, and their job is to help you. She was quite content with his explanation and left uh, free from worry. And while she was obviously mentally not quite all there, 
Would to God all of us would think the same way. That we had two men following us called goodness and steadfast love. Hunting us, spying on us. Because aren't they? According to this text, surely, certainly, most definitely, the goodness of God and his steadfast love shall chase me down every step of the way. I pray that whatever frame of mind you're in this morning, that you can, um, the Spirit would press this truth home to you, that the Lord's faithful provision will pursue you all through your life. Because of this conclusion, and it's a really great conclusion, isn't it? He goes on uh, to describe his determination. And this is really something else, what he says next. He determines uh, to go back to the Lord's house for more of his goodness and steadfast love. Look at the middle of verse 6 now. And he says, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The phrase begins with a simple little Hebrew particle, just one letter. Uh, translated here in the ESV as and. But the leading Hebrew dictionary says that it, it's, this can sometimes be translated therefore. This little particle can sometimes introduce a, an inference. Uh, and that should probably be the case therefore uh, uh, is how it should be taken here. And again, we see cause and effect. The cause, certainly the Lord's goodness and steadfast love shall pursue me every step of the way. And, and the effect of that on David, therefore, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord because of his faithful provision. David will return there to the house of the Lord. Look at, look at note in your text, the word uh, dwell in this last phrase. Uh, there's a footnote that says return to dwell. It's a very common Hebrew word. The root meaning is to return, to go back to. The house of the Lord is a reference again to the earthly tabernacle uh, where he was worshipped, the tent of meeting. And then note the term forever, another footnote. Literally this means for length of days. And you take these meanings and put them back together. And the second half of verse 6 reads, Therefore, I will return to the house of the Lord for the rest of my life. And so, then we put it back together with the first half of verse 6. Hang on. Lunch is coming. <laughs> when we put it back with the first half of verse 6, we might come away from this with something different than what we've always understood this to be. And so this is probably how verse 6 should read. This conclusion, certainly the Lord's goodness and steadfast love will pursue me every step of the way. 
Therefore I will return to the house of the Lord for the rest of my life. In other words, David says, I want to put myself in the best position to experience the Lord as a good shepherd and a gracious host. And the best place to do that is in his sanctuary at the tent of meaning. That's what the Hebrew means. It's, it's not so much about our eternal home in heaven with the Lord. There are plenty of other places in the word that assure us of our eternal home in heaven. So don't get mad about that. This phrase is about David's determination to gather at the tent of meaning because that's the best place to experience this faithful provision he's been describing. It's a conclusion. It's a summary. Uh, it's going to chase me all the way of uh, my life. Therefore, I'm going to go to the place where I can get it again. Listen to this comment in description of the tent of meeting from Dr. Alan Ross, my former seminary professor. He describes the tent of meeting as a place of fellowship with and worship of the Lord. There the faithful would be taught God's word. They would find forgiveness and restoration. They would learn of his righteous guidance. They would pray and praise for his protection and provisions. And they would be welcomed into his house where they would find provisions and abundance. It is there the presence of God would be realized. And so David desires to be there. To come into close communion with the Lord for the rest of his days. So here's the application for you and I. Have you experienced the Lord's faithful provision as a good shepherd? Have you experienced the Lord's faithful provision as a gracious host? Is your answer yes? Yes, Pastor Rob, as a follower of Christ, I come to the same conclusion with David. I'm reading your answer into your brain for you now. Yes, Pastor Rob, as a follower of Christ, I also conclude with him that's a, that the Lord's goodness and steadfast love will be with me every step of the way. And then I'm asking you now, then like David, don't you want to put yourself in the best place to experience more of that faithful provision? Don't you want to put yourself in the place where you experience him as a good shepherd and a gracious host? If that's what you desire, then come to the same determination that David did. Determine to put yourself and your family in the best place possible to experience that faithful provision. Say with him, therefore I will return to the house of the Lord for the rest of my life because that's where the grassy meadows of instruction from his word are. That's where I find healing streams of forgiveness and restoration through the cross. That's where he shows me which track to take. That's where I'm welcomed into his house and refreshed in his presence. That's David's determination. By God's grace, may, may it be yours and mine as well. And I shall return to the assembly of the saints all the days of my life.
the way the Lord faithfully provides is through worshiping Him in His sanctuary. And because the Lord faithfully provided for David, David determined to go back for more. So, this is David's meditation on God's faithful provision. How does he faithfully provide for his people? How does he faithfully provide for you and me? He provides for us like a shepherd in the field and like a host in a banquet hall and through worshiping him in the sanctuary. So let me press an application home. I simply encourage you that if you found something good to eat, tell other people where to go and get it. My latest restaurant is Parada's Pizza. It's some of the best pizza I've ever had. Now that's saying something since I'm from Chicago. Parada's has good pizza. You should go try it. Is that not what this is about? I hope to go back to Parada's for more. Maybe even today. Maybe you could join me. Come try this pizza. It's so good. It's essentially the message of this last verse. Ah, oh, man. The food is so good there. Why don't you go with me? and taste it. And, oh, it's the kind of pizza where you simply go, mmm. But we're not talking about pizza, are we? We're talking about the Lord and His provision, His nourishment. And so that's, a, that's an important application. Join me at this meal. Ah, I found good food there. Most of the time, you know, not everybody's perfect. But most of the time. And a second application. No doubt that many of you know this psalm inside and out. It, it has been with you at the bedside of a loved one passing away. It has been with you quite literally in the valley of the shadow of death. You that are long in tooth in the Lord, meaning you that have walked with the Lord for several years, as Hebrews says, you ought to be teachers by now. And I simply encourage you by way of application Take the truth that you have known so long and use it to encourage someone else who's in the valley of death's shadow. Hey friend, your shepherd is here. It may not feel like he's here. He is here. 
And right now, I'm his mouthpiece. And I'm telling you, friend, he's here with you. Use this psalm, you that know it well already. Use these six short, succinct verses to speak into someone else's life and show them how the Lord faithfully provides. He provides like a good shepherd and a gracious host, and he provides through worship at his sanctuary. Use it in the life of someone you know to help them find this provision that David found. So Christ Jesus, we've asked today, shepherd of our souls, you would press the truth of this great psalm into our souls that the reality of your provision would become a tattoo on our hearts. We would know you, Christ Jesus, the great I am. Uh, Jesus, I pray that we would experience your ongoing nourishment and that we would be driven like David was to come back to your house for more. Do this good work in us by your indwelling spirit. Savior, we pray in your name. Amen.